1: I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Lisbon Khawaja. I'm Mitch Marsh.
2: I'm Darren Lehman. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to The Unplayable Podcast.
0: This is The Unplayable Podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to review the first test at Kingsmead, preview the second test at St. George's Park, but we start with the fallout from the stairwell Stash in Durban. Here to do that are au reporters, Callum Kanonyuk and Andre the Doc Major. Welcome back, gents. Thanks, Sam. Glad to be back. Thank you, Sam. Callum, we're going to start with the David Warner, Quinton de Kock incident that happened in the stairwell outside the Kingsmead dressing rooms. A lot went down. Callum, let's run through the incident to begin with. You know it better than anybody. Well, you say you do.
2: I'm probably about... 45th in line at least in terms of knowledge of this incident. Um, First of all, stairwell stouch, I like it. I like where you've gone with that. Um, It's certainly dominated discussion over the past few days and uh, it's the kind of thing that everyone has an opinion on. I don't think anyone really knows the right answer as to kind of it's all about this line, isn't it, where this line sits and and, uh, who sets it. I think most can agree what Quinton de Kock was alleged to have said or, or what he was referencing to is over the line. Um, but how how you determine what is and what isn't is a very, very murky topic and that's uh, something that Proteus coach Otis Gibson spoke about yesterday. And uh, it's something that I think we will continue to talk about over these next three tests because I don't think this is the last we're going to hear of this kind of thing.
0: Both players were charged and fined by the ICC. David Warner fined 75% of his match fee and given three demerit points, which put him on the brink of being suspended for the second test here in Port Elizabeth, while Quinton de Kock was hit with a level one offence for bringing the game into disrepute, both players for bringing the game into disrepute. He appealed that, went to a hearing with match referee Jeff Crow, but uh, the charge was upheld. He copped a 25% match fee uh, fine and got one demerit point. As you said, Callum, this is probably not going to go away anytime soon. But uh, Warner has said that he's not going to change the way he plays the game. He's had a pretty immaculate record for the past 18 to 24 months. Uh, do you actually think that that's going to happen? Do you actually? Th- you you got to think with one mind indiscretion hanging over your head, you're going to pull it back just a little
2: bit. I, I think he has to. Um, you know, I think we're going to have to see a return of the Reverend. As opposed to the ball that's reared his head again uh, recently. But he has to. I mean, the punishment is just so severe now to miss a test match. And, you know, the prospect of him missing this next test match, which was very much a real possibility when he was given that level 2 offence. Oh, yeah. That would have thrown Australia's plans into absolute chaos. It throws their whole batting order in, into shambles, really. We were talking about that. I mean, what
0: what would they have done? I mean, do you put... Shaw sure, Marsh up to opener, but he's been so successful at number five can't put, move him I can't move him so do you put Kawaja up and last time he opened the batting it was against South Africa against the pink ball in Adelaide and he got 100 So maybe not be the worst um, prospect for for Usman and then you got to bring Peter Hanscom in there somewhere does Smith go to three does he go, Hanscom go to three I mean, well, you're right it would raise a lot of questions fortunately we're not talking
2: about that that's right but there's a possibility now that he's as you said only one minor indiscretion away from that being a very real possibility um and the thing is, it hangs over his head for two years. Yeah. The other factor in that is that if they're not playing test matches at the time and he does have an indiscretion, he misses two ODIs. And you've got to remember, there's a World Cup next year in England. Mm. So if he does something in the World Cup, first game of the World Cup, where he gives someone a spray and a send-off to try and assert his aggressiveness... He could get done and, and miss the next two ODIs yeah, in heard, a World Cup. And but every other team that comes up
3: against him is going to be like, well, he's only one demerit point away. So well, the Australian
2: spoke about it with Rabada before the series. Who's on three demerit points? Well, he's on five demerit points. Sorry. He's three away. Sorry, five, yes.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I reckon there's been a little bit of talk since, since Warner got awarded those three demerit points that maybe even in an upcoming series that he might just cop one discretion. Um, a minor one, I'm not sure what that would be, something low offence, but to just basically reset his um, demerit points, well, the threshold would go to four, if it gets to eight, it's double the penalty, but he'd have four points to play with ahead of that World Cup, to try and just sort of hold so, the slate clean, a bit like George Baylor did with the, um, the slow over rates before the 2015 World Cup. I mean, that's sort of, you know, rorting the system to some degree, but... You don't want to be missing a World Cup final if you
2: if something happens in a semi-final and then all That's of a sudden right.
0: you get a code of conduct breach and you're going to miss a,
2: a big, important match. There's certainly no shortage of meaningless limited overs matches um, to try and do that sort of thing between now and then. I'm not sure if they're all meaningless now. There's a World Cup 16 months away. Well, it's debatable. But I do agree, no one, um, especially someone like David Warner, would want to miss cricket. But you know, now it's going to be... Yeah, that, that two-year period where he's got to be on his best behaviour, really.
0: But he'd been, I mean, as you said, he'd been good for the, the previous two years and he hadn't really changed that hostile, aggressive nature out in the field. I can't see him going too far with the sledging. Although, you know, this has been the really interesting part about this whole this whole saga is that just the, both sides are adamant that one team said something personal and the other team didn't. The Australians have been staunch in their defence that they never, never crossed the line, that they didn't say anything personal. Um, whereas Faf2C said straight away after that f- first test match that both sides got personal. Team, A- the team A- manager said that definitely uh, Australians got personal, including Warner. But then, you know, Adam Markham said they didn't hear anything bad out
2: there. But that's the thing even the term personal sledging? Like, how do you kind of define what is acceptable and what isn't? Well, Tim Payne
0: said that the only thing they said to, to Cock was questioning, you know, his place and his form and, and a little bit about his fitness. And I, I is don't know that not they, personal? Well, I, yeah, I guess so. Well, that is personal in some degree, but I think when the line that Steve Smith has t- spoken about is that you know when it's something is personal. I think it relates to, to family matters. It's almost when you're getting personal is also about talking about another person.
3: So <laughs> so if you called Warner a shortstop, that's technically personal.
2: Well, that's just what I'm saying. Like, who, how do you sort of...
3: I think yeah, what you said about Smithy, you had it right. You know when it's personal.
0: He know, they know when it's personal, they, know when they when they cross the line. But I think that maybe this has been one of the questions that's been asked to all the players since the first test, is what is the definition of the line and what is personal? Because it sounds like there are a lot of different, a lot of different meanings out there and nobody can really settle on it.
2: Well, I think a lot of it is sort of a cultural thing as well in, in terms of Australian cricket. Everyone is brought up that it's just really hard, aggressive, in-your-face sledging. Yeah. But maybe that's not the case in South Africa. Maybe they just want to play cricket, and that's certainly what Otis Gibson was talking about. He was adamant he just wanted his players to focus on playing cricket.
0: I actually copped a pretty personal sledge growing <laughs> up. Uh, <laughs> it was my, it was my uh, second game of first grade back in Armadale. Pretty high standard of cricket. <clears throat> young fella coming through, and uh to one of the more senior batsmen in Armidale, and he just hit me for, I don't know, four or five consecutive sixes. He left the last ball over, which nipped back just a little bit, probably two or three feet outside of stump. So I gave him a bit of a glare, and he looked back at me and said, what, mate, it took three weeks to get here? And that just really crushed me. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, I'm supposed to be a fast bowler, and he's basically saying it You know, it took 21 Days, you know, fifteen business days to
2: get there. It was. Did they cross the line?
0: You know, I didn't. I didn't bowl again,
2: ever. No, I did bowl. I, again. I, I actually the, got another
0: weekend, I think but, the
1: thing
2: about sledging uh, at that sort of level is that the line is a, a long, long way away. It's a long way. <laughs> there <laughs> are no could, there are no stump mics in Armadale. Let me
0: tell you. I couldn't see it. That's for sure. Um, but you know, it's it's an interesting uh, an interesting layout to this series because you know these two teams it seems like they bring the best and the worst out of each other and I mean last series there was the the whole Minkate thing uh, with Faf and he's also got three demerit points on his record so if he's in Warner's camp now with one discretion away from being suspended the cricket is so fascinating maybe because they're such evenly, um, evenly balanced teams that that these games are always great, but I guess they just want to try and get that extra one percent, and that might be the aggressive nature on the field. Uh, it feels like this series, and the, some of the players talked about how it's going to match the hype and anticipation of an Ashes. It's hard to say that they dislike each other because a lot of them play together, and you know, even Steve Smith said that he gets along really well with Faf. They played in the IPL together. They've had many meals together, had drinks together, but there must be when they get on that on that field, there must be some kind of dislike between the two parties. I, I think, think it's just,
3: I think it's just this time of year. March, that's when the Aussies always break their friendships with other cricketers. Well, yeah, it
2: didn't go real well with Coley about this time last year, did <laughs> it?
3: <laughs> Came crum- crumbling down. Yeah.
2: I think the thing with um, the Proteas is that they are also so competitive, like the Australians are. You know, They always talk about quite a bit that they the two teams play their cricket in a similar way. So I think that just sort of comes together in such a way that these kind of things happen. You've got Fafu it seems like he basically lives to take on the Australians and he loves performing really well against them and, and leading his team against Australia.
0: Well, didn't, A- didn't Neil Manthorpe say last week that AB DeVers gets up for two reasons in the morning, to beat Australia and to win the 29-win World That's Cup? That's right.
2: So <laughs> yeah, And then you've got someone like Kikiso Robata who... Is just one of the most competitive players on the planet.
0: He was right out there. If you've seen the vision, he was right out there once he heard the commotion. That's right. So it was Faf without a shirt on.
2: (laughs) You had uh, Rabada with his chest puffed out. You had Faf without a shirt on. Um, (laughs) A lot of chest action. There was a lot of chest action. Um, But yeah, just these two teams, I think, the South African spoke about before the series, that this is almost, if they had an Ashes, this is basically it. They love playing Australia. Um, Australia love coming over here and, and they've got such a dominant record over here, so they want to keep that, and it just all that comes together to, to create what we've got right now.
0: I sat down with David Warner today. Here's what the vice captain had to say. David, here in Port Elizabeth, with you having copped a 75% match fee fine and three demerit points for your involvement in the Quinton de stairwell stouch. Before we get into it, can you just give us your version of events about what happened that day?
1: Yeah, look, there was a couple of, um, you know, Verbal words exchange uh, as we're walking off the field, and um, you know we're just walking up the stairs, and you know we're about to get to the change rooms, and you know I, I sort of heard someone hissing at me, and I thought it was one of my players, and turned around, and it was it was uh, Quinnie, and you know from there it, it basically turned into a bit more of a verbal stoush, and um, he said something to me that was quite um, vile and and vulgar, and you know it was, it was derogatory. Um, a comment made about my wife, um, you know, and it, it really triggered an emotional reaction, um, response from from myself. And I would never expect uh, a comment that was so disgusting um, in the close proximity of myself from another player. Um, and I accept, obviously, the, the the charges that have been laid, um, and I regret that the way it was played out. But I'll keep continuing to stand up for my family
0: there's been some new cctv footage leaked about um or or shown it looked like the moment that the cock said the stuff and said what he said can you just talk us through that and and what happened in that moment
1: yeah it was just simply we're about to walk up the first set of stairs to our change room and um as i was walking in front of him as you can see in that footage he then decided to say what he said um which as i said was very disgusting and vile comment about my wife um and I don't think you, you, know, you should be saying that about any lady or a player's, a player's wife. Um, but yeah, it got that you know, emotional response from me and it sort of panned its way back upstairs and you know, I just wanted to express to him to, to say it out loud and not just say it behind someone's back and look at, you know, look at me in the eye and say it.
0: If something like this happens again, after what you've been through, how do you think you're going to react in the future?
1: I'd I'll, I'll, I'll probably take the appropriate action and... And you know, try and go into a quiet room with with um, the officials and and you know, try and get what he said out of him um, in front of people. Uh, it's something that you know, in in the past, yeah, I, I definitely you know, I do dish it out on the field and I, I do get quite um, vocal on the field, but never would I ever bring someone's family uh, into that context um, or say disgusting vile comments about a player's wife or a woman in general. Um, and hopefully that scenario never actually happens again but you know, I'm very um, regretful for the way that it played out and you know, hopefully we can move on from this.
0: There's so much talk about where the line is and what mean what is what is meant by going personal, getting personal on the field. Do you know where that line is? Do you know where you've got to draw the line between being personal and not being personal?
1: I think it's up to the, each individual. Uh, I've been called a lot of names um, that can't be repeated obviously but uh, you know, at the end of the day if, if no one if no one's actually saying anything about that, then you know you, you feel like that's probably not too personal. Um, but there's always you know there's the guidelines and that that are in the ICC books that are a no go zone. Everyone knows that, and you just don't ever go there. And you know for, from from where I sat, I'd never ever thought or would think I'd hear the disgusting comment that came out of um, Quinny's mouth uh, off the field, especially walking up um, the tunnel back to the change rooms.
0: And the strains have been. You know, adamant that they haven't gone personal with any of the South African players, including De Are you happy to back that up and say that you guys never crossed that line?
1: Yeah, definitely. We didn't cross that line at all. we on the field. It's you know, you, there's a lot of chit chat and banter, but it does not get personal one bit. We play our cricket, our brand of cricket, aggressive and hard. Uh, and you know, we always try to get the best out of ourselves and make sure that we always play on on skill and not emotion when we're out there. There's there's times where you might you know, get a, a bit emotional when that's inside you know with bowlers or etc or batters but you know, not, not once do we cross the line when we're out there and I think we've been very very good um, in the last two years you know we we haven't I think we've had probably one case where someone's been been fined for for overstepping that sort of mark, but you know same with myself I've tried hard the last sort of 24 months to to be as good as I can and my family's played a big role in that
0: with three points hanging over your head, you're only one point away from being suspended. Is this going to change the way that Dave to plays out in the field?
1: No, not at all. I'll always keep continuing to play my hard, aggressive um, cricket. Uh, that's what I always set out to have done um, early on in my career and making sure that I'm getting in that contest. But as you say, you know, it's it's, it's one of those things that keeps gets me going. If I'm, if I'm up and about and I'm, and I'm talking and got a lot of energy out there, the rest of the boys follow and... It's important to have, you know, someone do that, and and I, I set the benchmark high for us to keep that energy as high as possible.
0: I can imagine it's been a challenging week. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the matter?
1: Yeah, I just want to, you know, apologise for the way that it played out. Uh, I regret that situation that that happened. Um, you know, I'm sorry for the, the people that I may have let down. You know, our fans and and people back home and and even my family. Um, but at, at the end of the day, when You know, there's a a vile comment that's that's made. I'll keep continuing to stick stick up for my family. um, That's the most important thing to me. All right,
0: let's look at the first test quickly. Australia won by 118 runs. Some standout performances by Mitchell Starr, Mitchell Marsh, A.B. Villiers, Ada Markham with a third test match century and Keshav Maharaj. We'll get to them a little bit later. But let's start with our highlights of the test match. And Doc, what was your highlight from the first test in Durban?
3: Well, look, it was taking a photo. And it was a photo of Pat Cummings getting the wicket of Faf Duplicy. A rare seed. Just, a rare seed? Yep, because it can't wield the stump. I certainly
0: did. Went about fifteen meters back too.
3: week no, beforehand, I was thinking, mm, "I'm going to get myself a latte and then just go to the other side of the stadium where there's no photographers, and I'm just going to sit there in the shade and take a few shots." And I thought that would be a
0: good spot. Your camera, or
3: oh, sorry, of the cricket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <coughs> and so there I was, sitting there with the camera in one hand and the latte in the other, and I just thought. Here we go. Cummins is on fire. I'm going to go a bit wider. Usually, I'll going go a bit close, zoom right in. But this one, I thought, nah. I pre, I sort of pre-visualized this one. I thought something could happen, and I'm going to want to have both wickets in the shot. And so there you have it. Bang. Nice shot that we can blow up, and Pat was happy with it. It
0: was a fantastic shot. I think Pat's put it on his Instagram account. Even well, speaking of
3: out. Instagram, usually with every pick that I upload to Instagram, I lose a follower. But something has (laughs) dramatically changed since that photo. Cal actually credited me in cricket.com.au Instagram feed, which is amazing. Suddenly my phone lit up with followers. And then Pat, he put it on his Instagram feed and then credited me and then I got another 45 followers. And now I'm not losing followers anymore. I don't know. I think you've officially gone viral, Doc. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, if you want to join the other 15 people following on, on the, the Doc's Instagram account. What, what's the account handle? Major uh, Media. Major Media.
2: M A U G. It's pronounced Major. Yeah, pronounced Major. Cal, your highlight? Yeah, my moment just for uh, the magnitude of it and also the stink and the stench it created as a, as a flow-on was the run out of A.B. De Villiers in that second innings. Don't think anyone saw that coming. Davili's played so well in that first innings yep. and, and loomed as the key man for South Africa in the run chase. And for poor Aidan Markram to send the star batsman back, David Warner pounced, perfect throw, bounced up to Nathan Lyon. Nathan Lyon did the rest, and poor AB was just there laying on the ground. And we'll reference like again wounded soldier, the great Neil Manthorpe Nathan Lyon dropped the ball as if it was a rose in a coffin (laughs) (laughs) on a grave yeah (laughs) that's a perfect way to describe it and then yeah and didn't the Australians enjoy it I think it's fair to say
0: and you know we're talking about the Cock and Warner getting sanctioned so did Nathan Lyon he copped a uh, a fine and he also got one demerit point added to his disciplinary record so a couple I think we did a was it not on play at or leave it last week that I, one of the questions was three code of conduct breaches? I don't recall. And you guys left that one and they've already equaled it in the first test. Yes, well, that's
2: true, actually. I didn't think it was going to happen. In my defence, I told the umpires to let <laughs> them play and I think they did probably for too long.
0: My highlight, I could have gone with Mitchell Stark's performance or even Mitchell Marsh's 96, but I'm going to go with Aidan Markram and that wonderful second innings 100. He scored 143, his third test tonne to come back from that run out was just fantastic and the moment that that got him out, Mitchell Marsh coming on the glue of the fast bowling cartel apparently he's a full member now. He's uh, been reinstated there by Stark, the chairman, uh, to come on and get that wicket and Tim Payne to take that fantastic catch up to the Stumps. Uh, Markham and that wicket sort of for me was that whole moment Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how Markham plays for the rest of the series and what plans the Australians have against him now that they've seen him bat for many, many minutes.
2: Now, just on that, I don't want to talk down uh, Mitch Marshall's wicket and certainly not the great catch from Tim Payne. But does Mitch's status as a full-time member of the FBU need to be called into question now?
0: Why? Because the keeper's up to the Cause stumps? Because the keeper's up to the stumps. That's it's not on. It's a good question. I mean, if Co- Cock did it to Philander, you wouldn't say that he's not a fast bowler?
2: Well, um, I'm just saying, what would the chairman, Mitchell Stark, think?
0: That's a good question. We might have to ask him somehow. Doctor, do you know? Do you, the chairman. You, yeah, do you know? The of selectors. Trev? Nah, the. Um, were you listening to what we were just talking nah, about? Nah, tuned out. All right, let's move on. The first test, as we mentioned, lots of classic performances. Mitchell Stark was man of the match for nine wickets. I think Mitchell Marsh said at the uh, at stumps on one of the days that when Stark reverse swings the ball like that, he's the best in the world. Callum, it's hard to argue with. With Mitch.
2: Just when he comes round the wicket to the right handers and he angles it in and then shapes it away, it's just so hard to play. And especially against the tail where they genuinely have no idea and he has just incredible ability to just run through teams.
0: We're talking about Mitchell Marsh. He not only did the business with the ball in that that final innings, but uh, he also scored 96 with a bat, got it straight up to 351. An important knock. Unfortunate not to get... To three figures, he probably just got a little virtual bit of... 100, uh, virtual, virtual 100. Virtual 100. It's uh, a team 100. White line fever and just sort of uh, wanted to get it in one shot and unfortunately picked out the tallest man on the field. I mean, if that was anybody else, if that was...
3: Where was Temba? Yeah, I
0: know. Temba was there. That's <laughs> two minutes over his head. Don't but get personal, do personal. But yeah, well, that, that's true. Mornay Walker was there and, uh, and he took that catch. But Marsh, he's becoming such a... Much like his older brother, he's becoming such a bankable member of that middle order for Australia.
2: Yeah, we looked at some numbers... Um, since his Ashes recall in Perth. And I think he's batted six times since coming back. And four of those occasions, he's actually batted for longer than three hours, which he'd never done in his test career prior to that. And I think that just shows this patience. And you know, Darren Lehman spoke about his, It's actually his confidence in himself. He has a belief now that he belongs at this level. And, uh, and it's showing, as you said, he's become so integral to that middle order. And he still has that same power hitting ability like not even slogging he's just his drives are so powerful his cut shots his pull shots everything is just with so much power so that the longer he spends out in, the, out in the middle he can actually sort of pick his balls a little bit better than perhaps what he used to
0: It reminds me a little bit like Andrew Simons same kind of player always had that power and destructive capability but you know maybe it was that 2003 World Cup where in here in South Africa where it just sort of that, that moment just switched the, the light switch in his head but he figured out how to build an in innings, and now it looks like Mitch is doing the same sort of thing. He knows that he's got those power shots in the back cupboard, and he can use them whenever he wants. Maybe not on 96 when <laughs> Vernon Philander's bowling, but he's figuring out um, how to rotate the strike, how to pick his moments, how to identify gaps in the field and, and bowls to target, and when he needs to, he can go he can go berserk with, with those big shots. And that's what kind of what Andrew Simons did. He always had that potential. He had that aha moment and then figured out how to bat. And he, you know, Towards the end of his career, he was one of Australia's most dependable test match cricketers. And it sounds like Mitchell Marsh, who's doing it at a much younger age, is kind of following in those footsteps.
3: And he credited the other day in a press conference going to the beach early in the morning yeah, as some sort of change and an influence on his, on his uh, talents on the field. And luckily here in Port Elizabeth, we're right on a beach. He yeah. went this morning. He'll probably go tomorrow morning before the game. So, wow, this could be a big test for him. Not Triple figures d- coming up. Yeah, Cal, maybe you should start going to the beach. Let's go to the beach. We're right here. I'm going to take you up on that. We uh, might finish I'm, I'm going to hold top. you to it.
0: Okay, all right. Keshav <laughs> Maharaj also claimed no wickets in that first test. And it, you know, this series has been built about the battle of the world's best pace attacks, but it was the spinners early on in the test match that did all the damage. And Maharaj, one of the things that South Africa probably have been missing for a long, long time. They've always had a fantastic stock of fast bowls, but they've never had that one reliable, long-term spin bowler but Maharaj at a young age into his
2: uh, 16th or 17th test match, he looks goods. Well, I think would, there was a lot of talk about it before the series and um, I think a lot of fans would probably still like to see it, but South Africa unleashing that four-man pace attack, getting Giddy in there and perhaps staying later in the series, but Maharaj is just so important that he makes it impossible for them to do that because he's such a pivotal member of that bowling attack and we saw that in Durban where It's a bit lower and slower and, you know, we saw both spinners, Maharaj and Lion, bowling inside the first 10 overs of each innings and they're expecting similar conditions here in Port Elizabeth. So you can expect him to play another key role and um, resume his little battle with Australian skipper Steve Smith.
0: Let's wrap up the first test with talking about the great A.B. De Villiers. Run out for a first ball duck in a second innings, but in the first innings he looked unstoppable, unbeaten in the 70s. Callum, when he gets like this, it actually reminded me of the first test four years ago when uh, Mitchell Johnson destroyed the Proteas and the only man really could hold his head up high for the hosts was A.B. De Villiers, who got a 90 and a a score in the second innings. He just looks like he bats on a different planet sometimes, doesn't he? And, you know, we look at Steve Smith and he can hit shots anywhere and he's unorthodox and he just... You know, scores runs at will, but AB De Villiers is every bit of that, isn't he?
2: You almost felt sorry for the poor bloke in that first inning it's because he was playing so brilliantly and then the tail lost 5 for 12 and Bang. he was just standing there. He couldn't do anything. You know, what can you do? And, you know, as you said, it, it was like he was playing on a different pitch against a different attack. He just he just finds ways to score. Um, and he just seems to have so much more time coming up against this Australian bowling attack. He was playing pull shots that no one else in that batting lineup was playing... Um, and he just has so many scoring zones, as, as everyone well knows. So, you know, Steve Smith spoke about it yesterday again, that they're going to change up their plans soon a little bit, bowl a little bit straighter, set fields accordingly, and and try and dry him up, stop him from scoring, and see if they can, you know, make him kind of do something that he perhaps doesn't want to do and, and draw a wicket that way.
0: Now let's quickly look at the second test here in Port Elizabeth. Australia have played here six times here at St George's Park for three wins and three losses. Uh, but an interesting record in the past uh, six second matches of a series. So uh, they've had a fantastic record in the first game of a series in South Africa. Their record in the second test is immaculate. Six wins from six matches. We haven't had a real good look at the pitch, but Captain Steve Smith seems to think that it's going to be similar to the way it played in Durban. And come, they've announced
2: their team. They have, unchanged, unsurprisingly. Uh, they're backing in the winning formula. No reason to make a change. And um, I think Trevor Hones might have a nice little holiday, essentially, over here because unless injury arises or Davy does something silly and gets banned, I don't think he'll have too many decisions to make. What
0: about the Proteas? We haven't heard from their camp. What do you think? Do you think they're going to make a change? Uh, you know, it would be hard to see them making a switch with Stain not fit. Uh, Morkle came good in the end of that, of that
2: first test. I can't see them making the change. Mainly because the big question for them is around their team balance. And I think De Bruin did enough in that second innings in Durban to suggest that he deserves to keep his spot. He didn't bowl,
0: though, did he? I mean, he's supposed to be the batting all-rounder. Yeah, I mean, he's so just an extra batter, wasn't he?
2: He's the extra batter, of course. Um, and the other, only other option there they really have is Bavuma, who was still yesterday being assessed by their medical team. So that's the only real change I think they could make. Ingiddy probably stiff to still miss out. Um, it'll be interesting to see how big Mornay Morkel goes in this second test. He wasn't great in the first test. We all know it's his last series.
0: Former Protest captain Graham Smith just seems to think the fitness for Ngiddi is going to be one of his issues. He doesn't think he can take the responsibility and the workload of the third seamer. And that's probably why they're going to the veteran Morkel even though he didn't have a great game, but he's got You know, 84 tests of experience under his belt.
2: Yeah, and I think that's particularly important in these first two tests where the conditions are a bit lower and slower and the expectation would be that Australia bat a long period of time. So they're going to keep the bowlers out there. Whereas once we get to Cape Town, uh, Johannesburg, expecting more bowler-friendly conditions. So perhaps Ngiddy could be favoured there.
0: Doc, you've had a look. You've been to this ground before. What do you like about
3: St George's Park as a venue? Uh, I do like the media centre, even though it's only about five foot high. That's all I can really say about it. It's a beautiful stadium. Good coffees? Well, last time they had a mobile latte. Uh, They had someone turn up with a little Volkswagen caddy and they were making lattes out the back of it and they were divine.
2: What about the band, Doc? I want to know more about this band.
3: The band do turn up with their tubers and their trombones and their trumpets and they make a lot of noise and they're
2: pretty good. Will you be riding there amongst it? For a little bit, yeah.
0: Now, there's an exciting new segment on this podcast called Ask Doc. (laughs) Doc, you've somehow generated a cult following of six people.
3: Ask Doc, hashtag Ask Doc is a piss take, isn't it?
0: Well, no, and you can't say piss take on this podcast either, but uh, it's (laughs) not. Anyway, some fans have came in through, uh, (laughs) shot through some questions via Twitter. Shoot them. First one is, Doc, do you consider soup a meal?
3: Yes, absolutely. It's just like any other meal, but with hot water. What? What? It's like any other said. meal with hot water. Or Pretty you much. put a
0: steak in a bowl and put hot water around it. Some that, people do. That?
3: Yeah, you cut it up in little pieces. Chicken. You can have anything. All right. Of course it's a meal. What? It, it's not a drink. Ask it's not Doc. a cocktail. It's not a smoothie.
0: Uh, I what I do you call it? this. Next. Uh, ask Doc. Name your
3: five favourite cricketers. This is a, not good. Brad Hogg. Mm. By a long way. Glenn Maxwell. Uh, David Warner uh, Is that four? I've got to
0: put it in the fifth one I don't know Damn it. Let's wrap it up Just name two uh, players Two players Who saw Merv Hughes yesterday?
3: I thought we current players Doesn't matter All time Look I'm, Can I just Lane narrow and it and down to two? Brad Hogg And um, Glenn Maxwell
0: all right, final question. Give us your favourite cricket destination. Ask Doc.
3: Dharamsala, Northern India, foothills of the Himalayas.
0: All right, that was the, the first and last segment of Ask Doc. Thank you for everybody. No for problems. Anytime time for voting me. in. That's it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast. We'll be back next time to preview the third test in Cape Town, but until then, head to cricket.com.au for all your new scores and video on the Qantas Tour of South Africa.